0: Now, we have been learning together, have we not, church family, about following Jesus together, okay? Here's the thing. I think if we're following together, then we're fighting together. I I didn't get a big amen for that one, okay, because you're thinking, I know why, you're thinking, hang on a minute, a few weeks ago, Trev, you were saying we do dancing, not fighting. We dance, we don't fight. Well, then I was talking about the dance of relationship. We dance together, we don't fight one another. So we don't fight one another, but we do fight a common enemy together. And we do fight for one another. We don't fight one another, but we do fight for one another. So I, I want to talk a little bit about fighting together this morning. And, and, and last week, I was talking about leadership and the, the heart of leadership. If we've got our heart from Jesus... If we've really caught the heart of Jesus, the longing of leadership is for God's people to come together and to be one. The longing of leadership is for unity and maturity in the body of Christ. Now, one such leader, he's one of my sort of leadership heroes, uh, is the Apostle Paul. Again, for those who are not familiar... Uh, with the Bible, the Apostle Paul was one of the main leaders of the early church that God used, and he's written most of, or a big chunk of the New Testament. He wrote letters to churches to encourage them and to teach them. Uh, he wrote one to the Philippians, to a church in Philippi, and we're just going to read from that for a moment, but I love, I love Paul because he's, he has what I call Open-hearted leadership. He's, he's kind of raw and honest and passionate and rough around the edges. I like to think I've, you know, that's, that's, I kind of can relate to that. I can connect to that, especially the, the rough around the edges bit. But anyway, Philippians chapter 1. And Paul is at a point, this shows you that we are in a battle and that there is a fight on. Okay, he could die for his faith at any moment. He's in prison and he could be executed because of his commitment to the gospel and he's wanting to write to this Philippian church that he loves he says look whatever happens to me I want you to grow strong in the gospel and in Philippians chapter 1 I've got it written down here Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 He says whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, that's because he's in prison, I will know that you stand firm, there's that standing, you stand firm in one spirit or in the one spirit, striving together, oh, there's that word striving, I'll come back to that in a minute, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, There is a a striving, there's a wrong kind of striving which Dan was referring to when we're striving in in the flesh, striving in our own effort. Um, I remember we used to sing a chorus many, many years ago which had the line in it, do not strive, do not strive. Anybody remember that one? It's a real old one, do not strive, do not strive. I won't sing it to you, you're okay. uh, And they meant don't strive with your own flesh, with your own effort to achieve something, rest in God. But here there is a striving, a struggling, a wrestling, a fighting, which is in the spirit. And he's saying to them here, um, I want you to stand firm as one, striving together, fighting together as one for the gospel. My friends, we have to take this seriously as followers of Jesus. We are in a battle. There is a fight. There is an enemy to our soul there is an enemy to the church he would love to destroy the church and frankly in some places in the world he's doing a good job of bringing church down he's never going to finally succeed but there are he's dividing the church he's defiling the church he's compromising the church there is an enemy and we want to see people rescued by the gospel from the hands of this enemy. And I'm not just talking about people being saved not going to hell. I'm talking about, in some cases, seeing them set free from the hell they live in now. Yeah. Seeing people set free and their lives restored. We have to take our stand and fight together for the gospel, for the kingdom. And I tell you, when you're in... I don't have a lot of experience of fighting. I've never been in a physical fight, and I'd like to keep it that way. Just in case anybody was thinking about, no, I I don't understand. I've never been a soldier. My brother was a a soldier. I've, I've never been a fighter in that sense, naturally, physically. But I do know this. If you're on the front line, and you're fighting, and the enemy is coming against you, when you turn around, you want to see that your fellow soldiers are with you. That, you, that, that they're together with you. That we're fighting as one. Yes? I, I don't... You see, I, I, in the church, I, this is why it's important. This is why it's important we're preaching on this whole being together. Being as one. Standing together. Because you don't want to be in a fight and turn to decide, and where are they? Where have they gone? Oh, the... the, the They're just taking some time out. I'm just having some me time. You know, certain phrases the pastors really don't like to hear. That's one. I'm just having some me time. No, we're in a fight here, folks. Can we stay together? Can we stand together? Can we fight together? You want people fighting with you side by side, shoulder to shoulder. I I I like the message version of this. A little bit, like I've written it down here. It may not appear for you, I don't know, but if it does, great. He says this, meanwhile, oh great. Live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things myself or hear of it from a distance. And this, stand united. Singular in vision contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and your unity will show them what they're up against. Our courage and our unity as God's people will show the enemy what he's up against. That Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If we show him our courage and our unity, I like the word contenders. The church has got to move from being a group of consumers to an army of contenders for the gospel. We're not here for what we can get out of it, what pleases me, what I like. We're here to put our life on the line for the kingdom of God. We're here to put our life on the line to see his gospel preached and people saved, to see his kingdom come, to see his church built, to see his name glorified. We're putting our life on the line. This is not about, I'm not sure I like the meeting this morning. No, friends, it's about contending together. There's a phrase which you hear now and again. something if you went to wildfires, you'll certainly hear it. It talks about, Ness Wilson sometimes talks about it. Uh, Ness Wilson is the, the leader of the pioneer kind of group of churches which we belong to. But she talks about contending for a great awakening. Contending for a great awakening. Awakening is another name for revival. And I've never, I've never, well, I've been sometimes a little bit skeptical about this word Revival probably because I've heard it preached so many times that revival was just around the corner. And you know what? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And sometimes people exaggerate things. Oh, it's a revival, it's a revival. And the Holy Spirit moved. God, man, it was great, but it wasn't revival. And people have hyped things up sometimes. So I've always been a little bit skeptical, but I have to say, and be honest with you, as I look at the state of the church across the West, particularly, I mean, not across the world, but across the West, And as I look at the state of our culture and our world, I honestly don't think there's anything less than a powerful move of the Holy Spirit that's going to change things. And so we need to pray and contend for God to move by his Spirit. And he does that through a group of people who will take their stand and contend together. You see, when I think of, when I look at our world and I look at the church, I think the hope is not in some superhero saint coming along. Some great leader that we all look to. Our hope is not in the next, although don't, don't denigrate leaders. But that is not where our hope lies. It's not in the next charismatic fad coming along. Although, I, 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 let's embrace every genuine, fresh, Breath of the Holy Spirit coming along the way to the full revival. But it's not in the next car, as a matter of fact. It's not in our organizational efficiency. Though being efficient is good. I believe our hope, our hope is in Christ, of course, but he, it's Christ in us. And, and I believe our hope lies in what I would call a remnant of people, a core of committed contenders of resilient disciples of faithful followers that have taken root in the hidden places no matter what else is happening around them they've they're rooted they're grounded in their relationship with Jesus in their passion for the gospel and for the church rooted in in intimacy with God rooted in the scriptures and in truth they're a rooted remnant That's what Paul is talking about here, these contenders. Let me explain a little bit what I mean more about this remnant because it can be easily misunderstood. About 18 months ago, I think it was, I felt God speak to me through the prophet Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 30 and verse 31. It talks about a remnant will take root below and produce fruit above and and the fruit will spread out. A remnant of those who, when everything is being shaken, and we've talked about, heard about that this morning, when everything's been shaken, when everything's in in upheaval, they stand, they're rooted, you can't shift them. The Hebrews talks about everything being shaken, heaven and earth being shaken, but we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and a remnant of those who've decided whatever anybody else does, we are going to be rooted in God's eternal kingdom and the values of the kingdom, and the resources of the kingdom, and the power of that kingdom. We're going to be rooted. Others may drift away. Others may fall. We're not judging them. But whatever happens, we are going to stick with it. And a major part of the contending that that remnant does is to pray. Is to pray. We must pray together. Friends, we must pray together if we're going to see revival come, if we're going to see his church built and his kingdom come. We must pray together. Let me read you a quote from a guy called Mark Sayers. If you get to listen to anything by this guy, he's a a Christian commentator on culture, but also on what's happening in the church. His podcast is called Rebuilders. And let me just say, I feel there's something prophetic in this. This is a time for rebuilding. There has been a season, many of us went through it, and it was the right thing at the right time. We had to deconstruct some of the stuff we believed in and practiced. We'd had to dismantle. But if you stay a dismantler when God is wanting you to rebuild, you're going to miss something. It's not the days any longer to be a dismantler. We need to be rebuilders. Mark says, calls his podcast, Rebuilder. And he writes this about a remnant. He says In our age of opinion, social media venting, virtue signaling, and image management, remnants choose a different path to pursue with others in the hidden places, the eternal perspective, the eternal kingdom. They cry and contend, they step into the gap. They choose not punditry, but prayer. Central to any renewal and to remnants in every move of God in history is the practice of contending prayer. We need to contend in prayer together. Let me share with you something. I hope you don't mind. I didn't check with Pamela. I'm sure you won't. Pamela just shared something just in passing. It was almost in passing as we were talking together as a family hub just this week. Um, how many of you would like to see more healing in the church? <laughs> you know, we all would, wouldn't we? <laughs> and she just, she just said this, and I, I throw it out that I, I, It really resonated with me. That there, there is a, a moving of the Spirit that is only going to come when, frankly, we've got it together. There's, there's, there is a, a moving of the Spirit in power for healing and for other things And God is waiting for a community and a church that will really come together. Because sometimes if he was to pour out his spirit on the divided church, it would just wash away. He's looking for a church who are really coming together in order to hold and to, what's the word, to be a conduit for what he wants to do. I think one sign, I I don't say this to judge or anything like that, one sign for me That renewal is on the way is when there's more and more of us together praying. When we call the well, the time of prayer together, and it's full because we realize we are contending together for God to move. Our hope is in a remnant of people, a core of committed contenders. I want to just share with you some three characteristics. I will only probably unpack one of them. I'll leave the other one with you. But I, because I, I want you to get up from the table still hungry. I don't, want to, I don't want you to be bloated, so I won't overdo it. But about, again, 12, 18 months ago, I don't know, I was, I was meditating on the prophet Zephaniah, which is a difficult thing to do if you've ever read Zephaniah. It's all about judgment and the wrath of God coming. It's about God shaking things. But you you know what? It's very important we understand this because we've not been big on this, but it's important we understand God gets angry. God gets angry. When you see all the pain and the destruction and the awful stuff that's happening in the world he created for good, he gets angry about it. And when his church is just becoming just like the world so it's difficult to tell the difference, when they are meant to be the sign of what he wants to do in the world, I think he gets angry. Not to beat us all up and pulverize us. His, his anger is always, and his judgment is always restorative. And that's what the book of Sephaniah is all about. But I'm just warning you, if, you've know, if you're not used to it, and you go and read it, there's a lot of heavy stuff in there about the wrath of God. Just be warned about that. But the point is, this, and this is what spoke to me. He speaks about this remnant, this remnant that stay faithful to Him. This remnant that get cleaned up by His judgment, and whom He uses to restore the fortunes of His people. And as I was meditating, and I say it's a difficult book to meditate on. But as I was reading it, certain things jumped out of me. I just want to share with you. I hadn't planned to share this when I first was thinking about preaching on this, but I just. Felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. Three characteristics of this remnant, of this committed core of resilient disciples and faithful followers. I'll tell you what they are just in case I don't get through them all. One is hunger, I'll explain that in a moment. A second is holiness, and a third is humility. I've got them all beginning with H to help you remember, okay? As they didn't just, the Holy Spirit doesn't always speak in the same letter to me okay? but this time it's to help you remember let me say it about hunger as I read the book of Zephaniah I was going to take you into it but I think I will tell you what I'm just going to give you the plants that I picked out of that garden if you want to go and investigate the garden for yourself please do read the book of Zephaniah be prepared but here's the plants I got from it one is this remnant of God's people are hungry for God and for his house, so that nothing else will satisfy them. You know, I don't know why I do this. There are times, Alison, she shakes her head at me. She says, Why, why do you do this? And then now and again, I think, I, f- I fancy a McDonald's. I just feel I have. A <laughs> no, it's not an amen. You're not supposed to amen this one. <laughs> I just feel a bit of a craving for a McDonald's. And every time I have one, I'm disappointed. I'm sorry. I'm disappointed. I just I feel as though I wanted well after I've had it thought mm, that's not a proper meal is it? I'm sorry for those of you who are McDonald's fans. Sometimes we can have a a craving for something but it never ever satisfies us. We want a craving for the feast that he's prepared in the house of the Lord. You see in the book of Zephaniah it says of his people they've stopped seeking him anymore. They've stopped inquiring of him anymore. And it made me think of Psalm 27. This is the heart of the hungry. It is one thing, one thing have I desired, Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold his beauty and to inquire of him in his temple. This remnant are made up of people who are just hungry for God. And not hungry just for God. It says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Do you know what the house of the Lord is made up of? Yeah, living stones. Thank you, Claudio. Living stones, you and me. So you can't say, oh, I've just got a a heart for the Lord. His people, oh, no. (laughs) But I... No, I've got a passion for the Lord. No, you can't. If your passion, if your hunger is for the house of the Lord, it's for his people. It's to see his glory in his house. It's to see his presence filling the community of God's people. And I'm not just talking about when we gather to worship in song, beautiful though that is. But when I sat with Mona and Masood and Malachi this past Wednesday, and others would testify to this, The presence of God was there. The goodness of God, the grace of God was there. In all the grief, there was such grace. That's the house of the Lord. Not just when we gather on a Sunday. When I look at all the people in the community whose lives we've been able to touch and transform. Oh, my friends. When church is functioning and flourishing right, it is the most beautiful thing in the earth. And a remnant are passionate and hungry for the house of God to be built and to be filled with his glory. They really are. It says of Jesus, zeal for your house has consumed me. It's like I'm on fire inside to see your house built. Be careful, folks. You know that hunger, because there's there's a holy dissatisfaction. But don't allow your seeking to become wandering. Don't allow your hunger to produce in you a restlessness, which is not healthy. I know some people have said to me over the years, and I've said it myself probably, oh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. (laughs) I'm still seeking this wonderful church. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Here's my advice. Heard it many times. Here's my advice. This is what I advise myself as well. Stop looking for it. Stop looking for what you want and get rooted and start building what he wants. Together. We can do it. In his grace and by his power, we can do it. Partnering with him. If we are hungry I'm passionate about his house. Remember, I shared a word um, some months ago. Your strong, this, is, this is from John Mark Comer. Your strongest desire is not your deepest desire. Settle what your deepest desire is. Sometimes I have a strong desire to go and live on a desert island. Well, not a desert island. Maybe one of the western isles of Scotland, something like that. Just me. But with a ferry coming over now and again, providing... Lovely. No, not McDonald's. (laughs) Providing lovely food, though. And fine wine. And good books. And now and again, some people... But I can decide when they go back on the ferry, you know. (laughs) I have a strong desire for that sometimes. But my deepest desire is to be part of the beautiful mess that we call the church. The beautiful mess where we're learning to dance together, where we're learning to love one another well, where we're learning to be part of the most beautiful thing on the face of the earth. That's my deepest desire. Settle what you, what you desire. Settle what you're seeking after. Settle what you're hungry for. Okay. That's the main one I said I'd unpack. I'll just mention the others briefly. Holiness. This is not something we preached on much. But I do believe that of this rem, in this remnant that God is preparing. Let's put it that way. Because that's what's left when this shaking has gone on. It's what remains. A remnant is those that remain. That's all the shakings happened. They, we must take seriously the call to holiness. You see, many of us were part of a generation... We're part of a generation that we wanted to avoid legalism of religion. And so we kind of, what was called holiness was often just religiosity. And in our desire to not be religious, we kind of swang the other way. The, the challenge of our age is not legalism, mainly. The challenge of our age is license, where it's difficult to tell the difference between the church and the world. And whatever it might mean for us, we find this in... in in, in Zephaniah, but um, I thought about seeing the glory of the Lord in his house. Isaiah was a, one of a remnant. He saw the glory of the Lord. He saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train of robes filling the temple with his glory. And what did he say? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory. It was like he was thinking, Why am I not dead? Because you know? he was aware of his own sin. We'll have to t- pay attention to what God is saying to us about the areas of our life. I want to talk about the, I, w- I would like to talk, but I, w- I won't do it now. The attitudes of our heart and what we let out of our mouth. Because it's, we have to be a holy people. And, ho- and we need to rediscover, it's not legalism, it's not religiosity. We need to rediscover the beauty of holiness and the power of purity. Holiness is just Christ-likeness, really. Let me read to you from, very quickly from 1 Peter 1 in the message. Eugene Peterson says this. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. That's what leads into unholiness. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. There's an energy crisis in our world. Let there not be an energy crisis in the church. Holiness gives you energy. Holiness, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. So another mark will be holiness. A third mark will be humility. It's, Zephaniah is absolutely full of this. It says, no more will you be haughty on my holy hill. It says, only the humble and the meek will be left. I'll come back to this another time, but I will say this. Be prepared to be surprised by who God uses. The days of the superhero saint, the super leader are gone. Now, again, be careful you don't follow the culture of our world and therefore dishonoring and devaluing leaders. Not every leader is on an ego trip. Some may well be, but not every leader is. Some are seeking to humbly serve in obedience to God. So don't make that mistake. But these are days when God is going to surprise us by who he uses. Remember David? King David, happy to be a shepherd boy. Overlooked and disregarded by his own family. And God says, no, that's the man I'm choosing. I don't think it's... You know, he was a capable guy. He was a gifted guy. It was how others thought about him that was the problem. But be ready to be surprised. God will use whoever's just open to be used. And the issue about humility is not, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Anybody ever says that to you, just say to them, it wasn't that good. No, humility is shown by obedience. It says Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death. Humility is not, oh, Lord, just use me for the lowly things. No, it's, Lord, use me however you want to, and I'll just be obedient. But God will surprise us in who he uses. I'm going to finish on this another couple of H's, I had a word last week about being heralds of hope, you see I believe hope for renewal, hope for revival, hope for restoration in our world lies with a hidden remnant of people who, they're not making a big song and dance about it, they're not drawing attention to themselves, they're just getting on with being faithful to God in the hidden places And I had this word about heralds of hope and banners of hope and being emblazoned with hope. That seems pretty public and this is going to seem to contradict it because I believe that God would say this, hope is going to be with the hidden. Hope is going to be with the hidden. Those who are rooted, and you don't see roots. They're underground, mainly. But it's those who are rooted in Christ, rooted in their faith, rooted in the kingdom. They're the hope for the world. The hope lies with the hidden. Those are my other two H's. And I'll finish there. Amen.